0: A few notes before we begin. This podcast includes conversations about the harms of colonization, including discussions of the residential school system, the ongoing discovery of unmarked grave sites, the African slave trade, and slavery. It also includes conversations about the history and current-day impacts of racism on the health of Black and Indigenous communities and individuals. Please, listen with care and care for yourself while listening. Additionally, please note that we're eager to showcase the experience, expertise, and wisdom of hosts. But also note and remember that their views and ideas may not always align with or reflect the views, policies, and governance of the Ontario AIDS Network. Welcome bundles of medicine a bold and brave learning tool that was created by dr roberta timothy and Janare yorksa in collaboration with the ontario aids network for context what follows is primarily a resource for individuals and teams working and volunteering within ontario's community-based hiv sector it includes several broadcast discussions and a workbook to guide individuals and groups through a process of reflection learning to be clear bundles of medicine is a response to our sector's need to create space support and deepen the work that aid service organizations across ontario are doing to address and navigate anti-black and anti-indigenous racism before we get re-engaged a quick word on the preceding voices and authors of this effort janera yurksa msw ma is anishinabe from kochiching First Nation, in Treaty No. 3 territory. Among other things, she's an advocate, educator, writer, and poet whose work is grounded in Indigenous feminism and decolonial frameworks. Dr. Roberto Timothy is an assistant professor at the Teaching Stream at the Dalhousie School of Public Health, University of Toronto. Dr. Timothy is the inaugural director of U of T's Masters of Public Health in Black Health degree program launching in the fall of 2023. The following episode, broadly speaking, will dive into settler colonialism and white supremacy. As you listen, you may want to think of general questions to help frame your mindset. How has power and privilege been handled within your HIV network? What kind of languages do you use in your leadership? Does it empower or harm? And finally... How do you decolonialize your work in HIV?
1: Hello, and welcome to Bundles of Medicine. And we'll be talking today about white supremacy. What is white supremacy? How does it impact Indigenous uh, and Black communities? And how can you change and dismantle white supremacy and white supremacist practices in your life and your work? and it's, I'm excited to um, share the space with uh, Sister Jenna Ray, and um, we'll, be, we'll be talking about uh, answering the, talking about what is white supremacy. What is it, uh, how do we get rid of it? <laughs> is, is kind of uh, what we'd like to focus, focus on. I'd like to start first with a definition. There's many definitions of white supremacy. There's many different ways to explain it. Um, there's many different ways to think about it. And I think that one of the most important things is to think about what, what it is to you. What does it mean to you and how do you define it? This is one definition that I have um, that in terms of defining white supremacy. Again, this is, there's, there's many. So white supremacy is the ideology and praxis that whiteness is equated with dominance and power over quote unquote everything. It describes the unearned privileges and entitlement that white people gain from the intentional and conscious exploitation of African, Black, indigenous, racialized, and purposefully marginalized communities, including our land, our labor, our resources, our cultural ways of being, and our knowledges. White supremacy is rooted and festers in an over 500-year-old and counting structurally violent social, historical, political, and current-day contexts that exist within a colonial and settler colonialism framework. White supremacy is found in both capitalist and socialist systems, as the impact of colonial brutality does not discriminate. Patriarchy, misogyny, heteronormativity, ableism, religious control, among others, are all aspects of white supremacy supremacy that purport white maleness as superior, and anything other than that, women, indigenous, and Black folks as inferior. This is a planned exercise to spiritually, emotionally, physically and politically ensure that resources often stolen and power are are maintained, upheld and developed through whiteness. White women, men, children all benefit from white supremacy on the backs and labor of non-white communities. Moreover, white supremacy has also contributed to the internalization of whiteness by non-white populations that purport the closer you are to whiteness, skin, behavior, attitude, the more you will be accepted and treated better and the quote unquote more human you are. Colorism and caste systems are direct results of white supremacy in our global world. In- internalized white supremacy results in the whitening of self in communities, creating tokenism and disempowerment needed to continue the control and psychological harm of non-white people. White supremacy is profitable and has created an equal systems of wealth and global power that by design creates food, and housing insecurity, economic and environmental apartheid, racisms, intersectional violence, penal systems, wars, historical amnesia and untruth, violence against women and children, heterosexism, other un- other inequities, among other factors, to strive and meet the needs of the world's smallest population, white people or people of European ancestry.
2: Wow. Okay. So, uh, Roberta. Um man, me miigwech for that, that overview of white supremacy that um, really encapsulates how it is so pervasive. You know, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's what is really important for folks to understand. Like, as you mentioned, right, there's lots of uh, ways to think about white supremacy and to conceptualize it. And uh, when I think about white supremacy, um, you know, I really I really think about how white supremacy is the culture and society in which Canada as a settler colonial state was formed, which you mm-hmm. highlighted. And um, it's also, again, I agree with you, the, ideoli- the ideology that white people defined and categorized as such are superior to those who are not white, uh, those of us who are black, indigenous, people of color. And the ideology definitely plays out politically, economically, and socially. And I think that your overview gave some really great definitions for us to think more deeply about. Um, you know, I also think when it comes to conceptualizing uh, what white supremacy is, um, there's a lot of myths that get in the way where We've been uh, mistakenly led to believe that white nationalists are the examples of white supremacy only. And, um, you know, we really need to um, understand that white supremacy is far more widespread and subtle. And that's what I love about um, everything you highlighted um, right at the beginning, Um, because it's really an indoctrination and socialization that Um, we are marinated in through education, through media, white supremacy is every day, and a part of the lived reality of all of society that has been built on stolen indigenous land, uh, Canada as a settler colonial state. And, you know, part of how it, it gets its power maintains its power is by remaining invisible, inaccurate, and the narrow measuring stick of um, white's definition of humanity really
1: yeah yeah no I, I love I love um what you just said it and you know the the white nationalism piece when it's when it's wrongly or only defined as a white nationalist does white does the philosophy ideology um you know impact the practice of white nationalism yes of course because it's a system it's a structure but I think it's the everyday white supremacy if you can say that you know the daily white supremacy that um that not only uh, creates the this, this system of Canada, but has created a global system right a global system that purports whiteness as um, superiorness and supports mm. supports the continued financial um, well-being and mental well-being of white communities with um, you know on the backs of other other communities, um, indigenous, black, and racialized. So I think that that like taking that stereotype of, of white nationalism and, and expanding it, to really talk about the myth of Canada and the myth of um, even intellectually, right? Even, even white supremacy is also looked at as intellectually. We think of our scientific inquiry, you know, that we think that the way um, races were um, you know, hierarchically um, examined and white being number one, you know, Darwinist theories and, you know, indigenous and black people um, being at the bottom. This comes from a white supremacist notion of, of scientific inquiry, which then people then talked about objectivity. That it's objective which we know that it was problematic and our scientific systems our indigenous systems of wellness were then not valued so it is um it is critical to talk about white supremacy people feel uncomfortable saying the word um think about how uncomfortable it is as we know experiencing the, the the lashes and the reality and the impact of white supremacy so saying white supremacy is one thing but experiencing it you know which our communities have is another and i think that people need to think about that when they're you know they're nervous or uncomfortable about something how are other people actually violated and impacted by it in a real visceral way
2: yes and and so like when you when you talk about um the discomfort that comes even with just the language of white supremacy um it it speaks to the normalization of it the invisibility of it the power of it the pervasiveness of it all and um you know, he, here we are um, putting these podcasts together to address anti-Black and anti-Indigenous racism and, you know, to, to get to be able to speak about white supremacy and how, um, you know, you mentioned it's a global system and it being a global system that goes back hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, is is so important and and to connect it to um to colonization right and dispossession of lands is is really important because if we're talking about um anti-indigenous racism we need to also think about colonization and decolonial frameworks that you mentioned right because white supremacy has been such a vehicle for colonization it's and it's the intersection of why it's so important to understand um the struggles of black and indigenous
1: communities as connected definitely i mean it's our indigenous indigenous populations in terms of african peoples and indigenous populations in terms of turtle island and and global other global spaces are connected You know, when um, Africans were taken, particularly um, from West Africa, and were taken um, through a process of white supremacy, like enslavement, African enslavement is the practice of white supremacy, the practice of colonization, yes, you know, our communities and our places were colonized, but it's also the practice and the ideology of white supremacy that we were inferior, right, and we needed to be, then have, you know, be, um, have a master over us, you know, to um uh not to be considered human beings so mm-hmm. it's, it's not such as you know it's this notion that white supremacy uh, just happens and it's you know we, do, it, do we really need to say that white supremacy exists well it's about life and death for our community members and it's about taking what was taken away right and to do that you know African folks were were um were enslaved and you know colonization the the uh, separation or the scramble of Africa um you know in in 19 the early 20th century and um, the indigenous communities were cleared, you know, lands in the Caribbean and Latin America were cleared in terms of killed, people were killed, murdered to, for, for enslaved um, Africans to then work the land. And also, in the context of um, Canada, and, and the States, right? Canada and the States, right, Journal Canada and the States, we were directly connected to colonization experiences of enslavement, experiences of anti-Black racism, anti-Indigenous racism. So mm-hmm. without, without talking about, like, talking about Canada, without talking about white supremacy or not talking about uh, colonization, um, is not talking about the real histories and histories of this country and also the current day experiences that we are experiencing right now. You look at HIV rates, you know, this is all connected to um, the white the practice of white supremacy within our society locally and globally.
2: Yeah, it's how the 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 hard history continues to play out, right? Like right. white supremacy is the ideology that allowed homelands to be stolen and 100%. people to be stolen from their homelands.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, yeah, and, and it so continues
1: we, today. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's it not like it's it's not five hundred years ago. Look at our look at our housing crises. And look at our food insecurity. Right. And people are like, well, oh, why? Like what happens why can't you know certain communities get you know work really hard I mean I don't know our community members work really hard they're working like three four jobs doing things that you know and yet you're never white supremacy is a system that never allows you to achieve the same as white community members right it's, it, you know the landowners in Canada the majority of landowners are white folks right mm-hmm. and and that and we look at the housing crisis, you know, the house, people who are impacted by housing crisis and housing inequities are, you know, African, Indigenous, and purposefully marginalized peoples. So it's not just a, a historical thing as we know. And, and I think it's sometimes easier for people to talk about the history, but it's hard for people sometimes to talk about the current day realities of white supremacy and the brutality that still exists today
2: and and yes and how it plays out through those social determinants of health right yeah. when you're talking about housing when you're talking about like earlier when you're talking about gender in heteropatriarchy yeah. and um the high hiv infection rates amongst you know indigenous women amongst yeah. two-spirit people like you know it, it's no wonder like how how white supremacy um, also needs all these other isms to to keep going, right? 100%. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean it's, it's it's like a it's like a stew that you don't want to drink. You know, we we like stews. And African people we like stews. It's a stew you don't want to drink, because really white supremacy is mixed with a little bit of colonization, a lot, actually. Uh, you know, that's the that's the, the bowl, the water of the soup. And then you put in patriarchy, you know, some big patriarchy potatoes, sweet potato patriarchy. And, you know, you put in um, all of the other sexism, obviously racism is, is, is in, in it stewed all up and all the other isms, ableism, you know, heterosexism, et cetera. And then you make that stew and then you give people that to drink. And then when they're drinking that stew, you don't tell them what's in it, right? You just tell them that this is the best stew. And this is the only stew that's going to, that you're going to have, you're going to be able to have. So There's a notion that this won't change, that white supremacy is permanent right and constant and I think that also needs to be challenging if we look at our our resistance movements and how we resist African indigenous peoples even within the HIV community right the resistance that we have done and we have seen um shows that white supremacy is not inevitable right but there is a notion that it's inevitable and it permeates every system um, of our society it might permeate every system but it's also the you know the, the next and I know we're not talking about necessarily that today but it always comes up because when you talk about it, you got to think about well how are we also resisting against it how do we dismantle it and how do we take it apart and how are we doing so within uh, HIV community and in, in, in African Indigenous communities in in general right
2: yes like so like that it's kind of like that balancing act of like understanding the pervasiveness of it but also that it's always incomplete because yes. we're still here right
1: yeah so I guess when we talk about like, what does white supremacy or how does white supremacy relate to anti-black and anti digits racism? I mean, I think there's, I think we've answered it, you know, but is there anything else that you think you would want to put in? I mean, it relates to everything, well, it's everything. It's yeah. connected to everything.
2: <laughs> I mean, I guess, you know, if we're thinking, um, it, it's like trying to help folks understand like from a theoretical perspective and then breaking it down to the everyday things, right? Yeah. And so like ideologically, like really uh, simply put, white supremacy is um, thinking about white bodies as more human, right? And and then how that plays out all the time and for what purpose. And so when I think about like anti-black and anti-indigenous racism, and how that's needed in a settler colonial state, it serves to um, keep dishing out the dehumanization, which ultimately serves the invisible white definition of humanity and justifies the ongoing dispossession of lands and violence that Indigenous people continue to contend with. And so when when we're talking about the HIV sector um, or health, like the the overrepresentation of our communities in these areas
1: right and you know the the history or histories of the in, in the hiv sector was of you know indigenous and african people's fighting back right to get actually access to um not only well number one medicine and resources but also even in terms of uh the politicization of you know who has hiv and that kind of HIV stigma. The whole HIV stigma piece comes from a white supremacist and colonization history, right? And it even even the result was that you know there were folks who even within our communities who internalized that notion, and there was also folks who were like, no, this we got to talk about the impact of colonization in terms of why people um, you know are not having access to medication or not having access to information. So the whole HIV even sector in terms of it being run today still. By white men, you know, is a white supremacist reality. Folks have a problem hearing that. I can tell you, there's many conversations uh, when you know we spoke about this. We were not allowed at the table. Of course, we weren't at the we 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 were already at a different place. So you know, the table wasn't (laughs) something that we were looking for. But it's really critical that even within um, HIV research, you know, um, whose research, how people are researched, the whole idea of prep and how PrEP was brought into our community without being consulted and, and, and even how it's being um, you know, utilized or not utilized within the community comes from a rights of premise, or I would say uh, uh, anti-Black racism, anti-Indigenous racism uh, lens because we're not included in the conversations and the realities of why and how um, you know, chronic illness is taken up and not taken up for Black and Indigenous peoples has to do with the notion that we are not seen as human. Or as human as other folks, as white folks, right? That's that's our own HIV status is not considered. Um, we're not we're not given the, the empathy or the care, you know, that other other folks who are who are um, non-black, non-indigenous are given. And that's and that's the there's a cross about that. That when you when you really feel that, that that's something big that that people don't want to talk about, you know. And and the the token positions of blackness and indigenous indigenousness in the, in the HIV community. If you really wanna change white supremacy and, and HIV and HIV uh, prevalence in our communities, then you need to talk about, you know, who is leading the community and who's not and change it up in terms of giving access to indigenous and African black leaders um, in our community and resources in our community. And I'm not talking about like, you know, partial mm-hmm. the indigenous fund and the, the black fund, I'm talking about leading the entire um you know dismantlement of colonization we'll talk about a different a different results for our, our people who are living with hiv and mm. uh, also talking about the prevention quote, unquote, and quote, all the other aspects of hiv and that's what but many folks don't want to hear hence this conversation that we're having with oan is like hello it's bringing it up it's opening it up it's opening it up and it's it's um it's beyond George Floyd, um, you know, Reggie's, um, it's beyond um, DeAndre Campbell and the the, the African and indigenous folks who were murdered in our community um, based on racial profiling. And we've now kind of seen more conversations on white supremacy and colonization happening, but this is a continuation in terms of, uh, you know, the necessary or the, the need to really dismantle this system and talk about how we can do that, um, particularly when we're working with HIV, but also in all aspects of our lives.
2: Hmm. Hmm. You know, and um, oh, it just it get it it. So you're kind of leading into you. I mean, you already have like, what can folks do to disrupt white supremacy in their everyday lives, personally and professionally? Right, and so, what? When I hear you speak, especially about, you know, the the HIV sector and who's leading it, um, you're making like a call to
1: action, almost. You know, hundred percent. Right? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. I think I think it's um, talking is one thing, actualizing it is another thing, and um, we we both, you know, we come from spaces. Where we're constantly resisting white supremacy, um, anti-Indigenous racism, resisting anti-Black racism, and trying to dismantle colonialism. That notion of oh, it's a colonial system, and if we don't, if we dismantle it, then what we'll have left? Well, for me, for me, and you know, my peeps, we'll have humanists. How about that? Like you know, the system that has uh, exploited us for you know over 500 years is not a system that I want to say that. Uh, that I want, and I want to stand by. So we have to really, you know, think about that. Sometimes we think, well, oh, if we if we give if we give, um, you know, and we support Indigenous peoples and in sovereignty, what will that mean for our land? Well, the land ain't yours. So <laughs> it would mean that the land and the rightful land will be given to the rightful people. And you know, if you would like to, you know, have some, you'd have to go through the processes of Indigenous. Land, um, you know, decision making that would happen. Like we really need to th- rethink what we have, how we got it, whose is it, and how we're going to give it back. That's, what mm-hmm. I mean, and, and I and I really strongly believe in that. And I think you know, in terms of addressing white supremacy in, in folks and in, their, in oneself and professionally, um, it, it's important to learn more about the experiences of anti-Black racism and anti-Indigenous racism and the impact of white supremacy and colonization in relation to making, the making of Canada, the myth of Canada, and how it connects to HIV prevalence within this, the conversation that we're having today, because there's a, a deep connection, right? You need to learn about the experience of, re, as, of, of resistance and be part of the movement to deconstruct mm-hmm. white supremacy, colonization, and racism. You need to unlearn the stereotypes you, that you have been given to you by systemic familial, religious, and cultural colonial structures you know, Black and Indigenous folks are not responsible for educating you. We are—we are in this in this podcast supporting you to support yourself to do the work, and we're also, you know, saying that this is something that if you're going to be doing social justice, uh, decolonizing work, that you're gonna—you have to start with yourself, and you need to address white supremacy within yourself first. And if you're um, Indigenous or Black or racialized, you need to do to deal with the internalized white supremacy that you have been fed, and then. And then talk about the next steps of of how you dismantle it. But the first thing to how to dismantle it is actually to to deal with it in yourself first.
2: Yeah, so like that Mm -hmm. um, engaging in critical self reflection of your relationship to white supremacy. So, like, yeah. rather than solely focusing on how folks are harmed by racism, um, interrogating your relationship to white supremacy. So, you know, asking yourself, right, how has your identity been shaped by white supremacy, yeah. by racism? Yeah. And although folks need uh, need to make the effort to understand the structures of power and how they relate to them, it's also important to balance that out, right, with... Um, fostering relationships, like meaningful relationships with Black, Indigenous, and people yeah. of color, yeah. like with our communities. Um, you know, I think of, about how important it is to stand in solidarity um, with our efforts uh, yes. for, for uh, liberation, for justice. Um, I think about, um, you know, disrupting anti-Black and anti-Indigenous racism um, in your presence, um, when, when, when we're not around is also really, really important. Right. Um, and the work is like, it's not easy work. Um, you know, I, I think about how we've identified, it's so important to talk about white supremacy. Um, and yet this is something that like, I think about every day, Every like day. I think about it every day. I have to think about it every day. I reflect on it every day. I reflect on how I engage with it every day, yeah, um, yeah. how to move in the world, right? And um, I think it's important we all do that. And so, you know, it, it's personal work, but also I don't think that it's such a compartmentalized
1: approach from like personal to professional. 100%. Right? The personal is political. I mean, That's the personal right. is professional. And when you say, like, it's every, you know, you say it's everyday work, right? Like, it's everyday you're dealing with white supremacy. And I can tell you, like, we're, we're saying it right now. Like, hey, like, it's everyday we're talking this podcast. But if we really, really sat with that, we could not, sit. we could not be like, how could we sit and be emotionally here when we have, when we think about that we're dealing with this every day. Our parents dealt with it. Our kids dealt with it. Their kids will deal with it. Our, our whole, all of our, our families have been dealing with this. You know, our elders are dealing with this. 365, 24-7, you know, um, that's the, the, the insidiousness of white supremacy, right? So when we're, we're saying, you know, what can you do? I think it's, it's, I'm hoping that the discussion has happened for folks already. There's been some, you know, um incline, I think I can't even say the word. You see that word? I, don't, I won't say that word again because I can't say it. But some, some, um, you know, uh, pe- some people have the unearned privilege that they don't have to deal with white supremacy. White folks don't have to, because they're given that, you know, the the golden rain of it. But when you're impacted by it, it's an everyday sentence. It's a life sentence. You know. Right. So I think when we think, when we think right about um, your personal, your professional, it, it's really important. I just want to give a couple examples in terms of addressing white supremacy um, in in one's like professional place, you know, of work or, or care. And again, you're as we said, the personal is political, the personal is professional. Um, it's important, that, and I'm saying this statement, and I and I kind of even question what I'm saying, but I'll say it: uh, learn empathy for Indigenous and African African people's experiences and pain. You know, like it is important to understand the historical. Her historical and current day pain and grief that our communities in and the constant healing and wellness right that we are moving through to to be able to to live and, and to have joy which we do by the way in a white supremacist society like I, learn learn that empathy I don't want to have to teach you because I don't know how to teach I've learned empathy from my, my mommy when I was a kid so I, I you know it's, it's something that you have or you're taught so that's your responsibility to, to do that Learn from and listen to your Black and Indigenous colleagues about their knowledges, lived and work experiences in the field in terms of HIV. Learn from us, learn from them. We have have the experience. Dismantle your notions of tokenism. For example, like having one Indigenous or one Black person representing your agency or in roles that have little or no decision-making power. That's not progressive, and that actually adds to white supremacy. So you want to dismantle it? Don't do that. Challenge the managing structures of your agency by mentoring, promoting, hiring indigenous and black people in management positions in your agency and on your boards. Check your social political location and the power you have based on it. Check who you are and what's your accountability to white supremacy based on what you've, what you've been given, what, what has been taken away. Check it out, be responsible. Give, giving up power or sharing power in ways that are empowering are critical. Not leaving the agency for black and indigenous people to clean up after. And there's many examples in terms of the Women and HIV Agency in Toronto and other agencies, the agency was messed up and then it was given to, you know, to a Black woman uh, and, and racialized woman to, to clean up and then the funds were removed. That's again, the impact of white supremacy and misogyny or noir in this in that situation particularly, right? So really we're looking at white supremacy also and the agencies look at, look at it from an intersectional approach. You know, we're not all the same in terms of Black and Indigenous peoples. We come from a heterogeneous space, different identities. You know, we, we have uh, queer folks, we have folks with disabilities, we have folks with different, you know, different um, uh, migration stories, different uh, classes, different different, you know, cultural attributes, etc. Don't put us all in the same um, the same, you know, I don't know, same stereotype, and and really do things so that um, you we can you can empower empower us, not to not to disempower. So white supremacy is about disempowerment. Look at yourself and see are you are you actually empowering Indigenous and African peoples, and are African Indigenous peoples you know leading um, initiatives and leading the way in in terms of HIV and, and HIV um, uh, work.
2: Mm-hmm. Those are all like really good good ideas and suggestions of where where people could start right and I mean I think about when I was in the when I was a social worker um you know we develop treatment plans assessments all the time and really when it comes to doing like anti-racism decolonial work um I think a good place for people to start professionally is to ask yourself, your colleagues, your team, your organization, like, what does you, your, our, um, anti-racism, anti-Black, anti-Indigenous racism, professional practice look like? What does it look like? What does it look like in operation? Yeah. And, you know, are you able to articulate what that looks like? Mm -hmm. And... Like in How very are you resisting it,
1: ways, right? I would just add to re- to when you talk about anti racist anti-black racism, anti-justice racism, to talk about it also with saying resisting it or confronting it or dismantling it. Because there's a lot of um, you know agencies that are saying anti-black racism, anti-justice racism. Like, are you supporting it? Like, are you? What do you want to do? Say, be clear of what you want to do. It's actually rip it apart, right? Dismantle it, resist against it, confront it, destroy it. Um, uh, not to just mm-hmm. to talk about it. Like, you know, without without those um, actionable adjectives and a plan is it's just so important. This, the statements are out there. There's so many statements, but what are the actions and how is it being implemented? And being implemented, how do you implement it in a white supremacist society? How do you implement, you know, taking apart white supremacy in a society that's white supremacist?
2: <sighs> I just think that I don't think there's many folks that could concretely answer what their professional practice looks like yeah and and so that's the starting point you know I I think about um like what is the impacts of um the racisms the black and the anti-black the anti-indigenous racisms like yeah. what is that on the mental health
1: um, for our communities you know well, like- The impact is, you know, uh, depression, anxiety, continued, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say even post-trauma, I would say, you know, continued traumatic um, impacts, um, you know, addictions, all these other pieces that come directly as a result of having to deal with this, like on a daily basis, when you, when you walk into the store, you don't know how you're going to be treated. When you're trying to rent a house or buy a house, you're not sure if you're going to get get rented and you're not sure if you're going to get a mortgage, there's a high chance you're not going to get it because of who you are. So now you're dealing with a chronic health issue, dealing with HIV, right? And you're coming from, people come from many different backgrounds. You can come from working class, you can come from, um, you know, class, money, elite class, you can come from, you know, recent um, refugee, Um, you can come from, you know, um, an indigenous community in the north who, you know, doesn't have resources because, there's a history of the resources being taken and continue to be taking, taking out of the community. Um, and then you're supposed to now be able to um, you know, live regularly, supposed to be able to live regularly and you're supposed to be able to get employed regularly. When in fact, we know that indigenous and African people um, in terms of we are the most uh, folks who um, you know, suffer from um, employment, I say employment apartheid and economic, economic hardships that are directly due to white supremacy. Anti-Black racism, Indigenous racism. So you're already starting here, and then you're dealing with a chronic health issue, right? That you're supposed to be supported, loved, cared, resourced like everybody else, and you're not given those same opportunities. And even within our in our community, within you know HIV um, communities, um, you know what? Who's getting paid what? Check out how Indigenous and Black folks working at HIV community are being paid. Are we are we being paid the same? No, we're not. I'll tell you straightforward. So all of those pieces, you know, enhance the, the, the level of mental health um, uh, stresses. But again, it, it stems from the colonization, the white supremacy and the continued intersectional violence in our life.
2: Yeah, like, when I, when I think about, um, I mean, there's no one way to say the way it impacts us in terms of our mental health, right? It's, it's broad. Mm-hmm. And it, and it and again just like how white supremacy is pervasive that it has far-reaching effects like on our health and when I think about mental health um I think about the way our self-worth is impacted which is directly linked to this myth of um whiteness being the epitome of humanness right yeah, yeah. and so um not feeling worthy I mean even in a A client uh, service provider relationship um, you know to question um, to demand and and so I think about sometimes the way our um, communities get labeled as difficult
1: 100% Um,
2: what I really see is um, you know when when we have clients from our communities that are able to advocate for themselves like that is that they are exercising agency and self-love resisting
1: hello totally yes totally yeah i want to i want to give a shout out to um you know um black and indigenous queer communities and two-spirited communities um who are living with hiv and um resisting and have been resisting for so long you know um Mm -hmm. in terms of dealing with you know, anti-Black racism, anti indigenous racism, homophobia, heterosexuality, heteropatriarchy, right? And yes. all of the, you know, and all of the other, um, you know, types of violence and housing insecurities, et cetera, and, you know, have been dealing with a lot of um, violent, multiple forms of violence. Yet, you know, in terms of fighting white supremacy, I, I, you know, I was, I was talking at some uh, thing recently about Black um, queer men, actually, we're talking about and Black queer and um, resistance in the HIV community. That history is not just a history, it's a current day reality. Because folks are still hustling and and you know trying to not only dismantle the stigma, but also support the community members, right? To actually be able to to move from like from uh struggle to to thriving, right, through through an through an anti-oppression uh perspective and through an anti-oppression lens. So I do want to to shout out and and also to you know, the black um, and indigenous um, women and and lesbian identified folks um, who have been doing the work, you know, who've been out there and talking about misogyny, talking about, um, you know, racism, talking about all of the different, um, the impacts of white supremacy and really challenging patriarchy. I do want to mention one thing and I I know um, I might have, I don't know if I've said it before, but there is that connection of white supremacy and religion, I have to mention it for a second, because the religion and the the, the results of white supremacy have also created um, homophobia and heterosexism, right? So Christianity, let's just talk about it for a second, and other religions um, that uh, utilized religion to support a white supremacist ideology and practice, which created a patriarchal and heteronormative um, notion you know, of even of queerness, of two-spiritedness that that was wrong, um, also impacted, you know, um, or impacts our communities and our folks living with HIV in the black and indigenous communities. And that needs to be challenged. Our indigenous ways of knowing, you know, and spiritual practices that are thousand years old and more. You know, we also, as, as African indigenous people, need to decolonize white supremacy and our practices of spirituality that say that there is a certain type of nuclear family that exists and when in fact we have been living for generations and generations with multiple ways of of you know calling of of having a family with multiple multiple um, different ways that are not nuclear and uh, heteronormative so i just wanted to, to put that out also as that as a practice of white supremacy and deconstructing that notion is also really critical.
2: Um, yeah, I just wanted to kind of build on what you were saying about, um, you know, the like, our communities definitely had all different types of uh, marriages, yeah. acceptable relationships. And when you look at um, in Indigenous communities, even with the Indian Act, it was one of the tools that was used to colonize um, and really push the That's heterosexual awesome. monogamous uh, relationship okay. it was it, it, you know when i think about how normalized that has become now it really has been a tool of colonization 100%. you know when when the missionaries came here and they were implementing the indian act they didn't know what to do with indigenous societies because they had like more than one wife yep
1: yeah. and, and um, african african um they did the same thing with us to the code noir and saying that we have to be Catholics after they've enslaved us, and then we've had to be Catholics. we had to give us give up religions and, and live in a particular way, even though we never considered humans because we were so enslaved etc but it's a similar mode of destruction of our family, of our families yeah. and what we what we what we called, um, you know our family structures which were totally different than you know. Uh, so then it
2: then it pushes the notion of like heteronormativity,
1: 100%. you know, and, and we've even got it.
2: Yeah, and then 100%. the marginalization of two spirit and queer yeah. people. Yeah, you know, and, and when I think about the HIV sector in particular, like uh, one of my mentors was a a two spirit woman, yeah. you know, doing this decolonization work that really um, all of society could
1: benefit from the wellness we are benefiting we're benefiting from we're definitely benefiting from two-spirited and and, um you know queer black and indigenous um you know warriors in our communities in hiv work and throughout throughout the world actually and 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 so
2: yeah so like decolonization is about like um accessing those intricate systems of knowledge
1: yeah
2: that have sustained communities like for hundreds and hundreds of years right
1: right um, and moving moving through, like there, there's those difficulties in terms of, you know, how to do so. Like you know, we know that religion, uh, and I'm talking about like a Eurocentric or or Christian and and also Muslim or Islam religion, uh, was also used, um, you know, as a tool um, to to support colonization. But it's also used for many of our members still, you know, because of the the, what, the Indian Act and you know, Code Noir and other. Other features of being of our spirituality really being demonized, um, they they have taken on um, you know Christianity or or the or or Islam or Muslim you know Muslim um, religions or spiritualities, and I'm not saying that you know those practices did not support some of us to deal with colonization and white supremacy because it did in some ways. Um, we we had to do it, but we also you know utilized what we had. But I think it's important to also understand how that happened and I know we're not talking fully about that today but I, I do want to mention it's a, it's a conversation that people say you shouldn't have in public you shouldn't talk about religion but if we talk about white supremacy and we don't talk about religion we're actually not talking about the real real truth when I was in um, El- Elmina, uh, the Elmina you know they call it Elmina castle but I would say the Elmina dungeons where they took African people um, in in Ghana and then, you know West Africa was the, the main place, but there's also enslavement in East Africa that happened earlier that people need to talk about also. Um, it was you know, something else to understand that the church was built on top of the, the dungeons where African people were enslaved before they went you know, to North America, the Caribbean, um, the Americas, et cetera. The church was built there while they were killing and torturing African folks you know, in, uh, beneath. That's that's something that you need to you need to you need to understand, and you need to have um, an experience of you know what what can happen in terms of you know the different practices of, of white supremacy and religion. And now we're looking you know looking now in 2022, but in terms of the you know the whole situation with the Catholic um, you know the Pope and uh, residential schools Indigenous communities, right, and, and the murdered murdered and missing children there's a connection to religion and and genocide within our communities and with upholding white supremacy so it needs to be addressed is what i'm saying
2: mm-hmm. um, there's one more thing i want to talk about cool <laughs> i just wanted to go back to the the impacts of uh mental health yes um you know and um you know, I, I think about the, like I, I talked about the anxiety, but um, I think about power and I think about privilege. And um, for folks that have it, um, it's an energy saver. And then for those that are experiencing the oppression through white supremacy, right. um, it is stress. And I think about how stress plays out on our nervous systems, Yeah, you know, and, um, and man, like, it's just, you know, like born into stress even, and, and learning how to, how to, how to live in, in a different nervous system. You know, and, and when you talk about like, you know, I might go to the store, I might show up at the grocery store. I don't know when I'm gonna experience this racism. So like not having a choice in terms of how you're gonna navigate all that, how it plays into your worth, um, what you deserve. Um, you know, so it it's it's so much. It's it's,
1: it's it's you know, we talk about sanism and kind of the notion of you know, of what is seen and what isn't seen, The problematic notion of madness and crazy and disability, all these other things. But white supremacy, living through it on a daily basis, you know, as an African person, as an indigenous person, I can speak as an African person, is like you're living in a land of madness. Like you're living on, like you're constantly, like people are literally not treating you well or talking to you well, or trying to hurt you or kill you or maim you because of the color of your skin hello and as my mom would say because there's other folks who are um who are might be as you know might be um, brown skin or black skin so it's more than that for african peoples it's my mom always says our hair you know our beautiful wonderful hair because there's other folks who are who are experiencing racism but anti-black racism is a particular type of violence right that we experience and it is it is un it is i can never fully understand it that you will hate me you will dislike me you will think that I'm less than human because of the color of my skin because of what you see and you have done that for generations and generations and generations and when I talk back about it when I shout at it when I say no to it you then you then want to want to hurt me more and make me stop and say that I'm a liar and you know all of these other pieces the angry black woman that kind of notion mm-hmm. of these pieces that is maddening right that does not that does not make when I talk about rationally rational, it doesn't make rational sense, but it's what is perpetuated on a daily, on a daily, on a daily. And so the fact that we have actually made our whole entire, you know, lives about resisting and dismantling it. Girl, I'd be writing poetry on a beach somewhere. I would be, I would have a whole mango farm and just like lie on the beach and, and cook fish. I'd have a fish fry. That's what I'd be doing if I wasn't messed up and, and brought into, you know, <laughs> the world to have to constantly deal with white supremacy and internalized white supremacy in my communities. I would, I I would be chilling for days, but we can't, we're not allowed to do that. And that has a mental health impact. Yeah. It has a direct impact, man. That, 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 that does something to you.
2: Like, like I think about um, in the set, like, you know, when we're talking about like uh, behaviors that put us at risk, for HIV yeah. transmission,
1: yeah. Um,
2: you know, I, like drug use and and uh, unprotected sex, um, and you and when you think about like, I think about Gaber Mate when he talks about trauma, yeah. and um, how we numb things out, right? How we numb things out? How we medicate?
1: Yeah. Uh, pain, and and it, through those ways, right? had to it's also, you have to have a release. Your strong. system has to have a release. Yeah. Right. And if you don't have a release, then there's an explosion and there's an issue. There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's major problems. And we still have that. We have, you know, higher rates of, of people who are, um, uh, being, um, what is it called? Uh, you know, put inside in psychiatric care. Um, and we're also having higher rates of people who are, um, you know, physically actually dying, heart attacks, um, ca- higher cancer rates, et cetera. That's not just because you know black and indigenous people are wired in a particular way. That wiring comes from having to deal with the impact of white supremacy of you know, anti Black racism, anti indigenous racism on a daily basis. And that's mm-hmm. not microaggressions. Do not bring me, don't bring me microaggressions. That ain't micro. Mm-hmm. That's that that's supersonic. You know, white supremacy on a 24-7, 365 day even when you're chilling, even when you're resting, something can come up in, in a minute, you know? So it's, it's um, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's, it's insidious, but let me tell you something. We come from generations of folks who are fighting it down. And I come from my grandmother, who comes from my great-grandmother, who comes from my great-great-grandmother, and so on. And we've been constantly fighting. We're all activists in the community. We're all, you know, and we've all been fighting in, in different, globally, if you look at my, um, my family, fighting against this and I might get my little daughter she wrote um she drew a picture they're talking about Black History Month and they were talking about slavery and I was you know explaining its enslavement you know we still have to explain the words and you know white white supremacy and she she drew a monster a picture of a monster and had like a lot of heads a lot of eyes etc and I said to her um oh is that slavery she said no that monster's eating slavery and eating the master I was like (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And like, mm-hmm. you learn so much from our children and our elders. And my, you know, my son was uh, in a class today saying, um, well, you know, what's Black history once about or something? Or what is, why was slavery bad or something? People were saying the other things. It was bad because it's white supremacy. It was white supremacy. It's white. It's all about white supremacy. He's eight years old. So mm-hmm. we gotta, you know, we gotta say the words. We gotta understand it. We gotta be able to, to, to move because we are also resisting against it. It's not something that is going to be inevitable.
2: And that's what I love, like your story about your kids uh, speaking this way, because I do the same thing with my nieces and nephews is I try to help them understand, like this terminology and to use it and to normalize it right. And I find that, um, you know, younger children they're able to use it and understand it. And, oh um, and, and, I, and that's so imperative. So going back to mental health and self-worth yeah. and things like that, yeah. um, these are some of the mechanisms that help um, restore and rejuvenate um, Black and Indigenous worth, right? Like we, we, can't, we have these heavy histories, these heavy histories continue to play out. And yeah. yet when we are able to think about them critically um, you know, and not internalize the white supremacy, that is a killer for our soul. Um, then we can still walk in this world strong, you know, like my grandfather always, yeah, my grandfather always talks about like, be strong, not hard, Mm -hmm. you know? And, um, but part of that is being able to understand these like structures of domination in a critical way. And so when children are able to do that, that is an indicator that, and they're able to do it and have such esteem. Yes.
1: Right. When they're talking about it. Oh my gosh.
2: And so when they're able to do it, that they are demonstrating to us that we can do it.
1: hundred percent.
2: As adults, we can do it. and, And if, and if we're not able to then we have work to do if white supremacy makes you feel uncomfortable you got work to do to talk yeah. about that man yeah you know
1: say it again sis yeah say it again if white supremacy makes you uncomfortable you got work to do and you know what if you want to be a part of the movement and continue to to dismantle do the work do it you can do it yep yeah
2: and we need you to do it you yeah know? we do like it it, it would be an energy saver
1: Yeah. for us
2: so yeah
1: well I think I think we've talked all about white supremacy today (laughs) y'all
0: we close, I'd like to send special thanks to those who have continued to support this project behind the scenes, and to the Ontario AIDS Network, who invited me, your host, Kandwani Mwase, to join and lend a small hand to this effort. I thank you immensely. To those of you who are listening and who will not only stand in solidarity, but do the work that is necessary, I say, welcome to the conversation. Welcome to the work.